Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Down the Line. It is episode number 74. I'm Brevin Hunter alongside Kyle Betts. It is Friday, November 11th, 2022, as we approach 10 o'clock here on the West Coast. It is Veterans Day. How are you doing, Kyle? I'm doing well. The weeks are going by, and we've had a lot to talk about over these past few weeks. That kind of continues here as we are in that period of this year, and Joining us today is a very special guest that I think we're welcoming back for the third time. I could be mistaken, but I think it's the third time on the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got Christian Alvarez. He's a former colleague of ours at the Daily Aztec. How you doing, Christian? I'm doing good, guys. Thanks for for having me on here. And, and yeah, I believe it is the third time being on the show. So I'm I'm excited. We get to you know talk about sports do our thing and it's uh it's always a great time being on here with you guys so let's i'm ready for it let's let's talk it mm-hmm. we got so uh, we're gonna take some soccer both within the mls we got the uh, fifa world cup coming up in qatar uh in a couple of weeks we've been talk some ufc we got ufc 281 coming up we're gonna talk some baseball the world series concluded last week we're gonna talk about the padres some news including some silver slugger awards being handed out to both the Padres and the Angels. So let's get underway with the fast five. We're kick things off with the MLS, the LAFC. They won the organization's first MLS Cup title last week Saturday after defeating the Philadelphia Union in a penalty shootout. Yeah, this was a really good match. I wasn't able to watch it myself, but kind of saw the highlights that came from this, and it was pretty much. Gareth Bale pretty much clutching up in stoppage time within extra time to send it to penalties. And then LAFC, I think, won 3-0 in penalties. So, yeah, I, I think this is pretty much everything you asked for in terms of a final. And, Christian, we all know how good he is at scoring in finals, as we've seen in recent years. Um, but what, what's it kind of like seeing him and Chiellini on LAFC? Yeah, it's crazy because there's been this notion on the MLS that a lot of these players that were known for being great in Europe and they transitioned to this point of their careers where maybe they're, they're just not as, uh, as dependable as they used to be or not as highly ranked as they, as they were looked at when they were at their former clubs. And, and there's just kind of been this stigmatism, I guess, that, oh, they're on the MLS. This is like the end of their career. This is their retirement kind of tour or whatever. And that's just how it's been been looked at. But I think uh, Gareth Bale, Chiellini, a few others have been the exception. And they've still been competitive. They've still been contributing to their teams in a significant way. And, and I mean, we saw that with LAFC's run. I mean, it was pretty crazy. Like, it's still, as a spectator, as a fan, and, and watching them be on a team that's only a couple hours away from us is, like, mind-blowing to me that uh, players of their caliber are doing things and, and embarking on etching history in some of these clubs as organizations for for silverware and, and things of that nature. And, and that game, I mean, it was uh, – I, I didn't get to catch it live either, but I did see the highlights just like you, Kyle, and the way that things panned out in that final and just getting eight minutes of stoppage time and, and having where, uh, you know, they were – LAFC was behind one goal in stoppage time and then – Gareth Bale comes in, ties it up. I mean, then they go to a penalty shootout. Like, you cannot write a soccer game to be much better than that. Uh-huh. It's uh, that's just kind of the 
the dream situation you want. If you if you want a, a super exciting, fun soccer game, is this back and forth battle? You go to extra period, you get more of that, and and then you get a penalty shootout. I mean, it's it's everything that that you want, and it was it was just fun. I think it's a uh, it's good for for the look of soccer in in the U.S. Nonetheless, because of course our our nation is still trying to bring that up to par uh, to other nations across globally but uh you got to start somewhere and you got to do things to be able to entice people to to want to care and watch and i think uh for those that did tune in to see that game it's uh i think it was a a very positive outlook on what the future of of soccer could could be like here all right we move on from the pitch to the ice rink we're gonna get a little bit more into the pitch in a little bit but we are a little more than a dozen games into the NHL season, and the Las Vegas Golden Knights have won nine in a row, capped off by last night's 7-4 victory over Buffalo, are the top team in the league with 26 points with a 13-2 and record. Yeah, Christian, what do, you, what do you think about this? We all know you're a Knights fan, but to yeah. see them kind of return to the success that we expect them to be at, what, what's that like so far? I mean, 13-2 and two is really fantastic. Yeah, it kind of came off as a shocker for me, to be honest with you, uh, especially coming off of last season when it was yeah. like the first time as a fan you experienced them as as being actually a, a bad team, a bottom uh-huh. half league team. Uh, I've been fortunate that since entering the league, the Golden Knights have, have done pretty well and have had some nice uh, playoff runs that they've put together. Uh, but last year they, they dealt with injuries. Uh, they were trying to figure out their system. Obviously now they, they have a new coach with Bruce Cassidy. And let go of Pete DeBoer. Um, but I think it's been very beneficial for them so far. They've, they've gotten some of those healthy acquisitions that they wanted last season. Jack Eichel, for example, that was a big mm. thing they got from the Buffalo Sabres and, and he wasn't healthy enough to really make an impact last year. And he's rehabbing off of his injury. Now he comes into the fold and we see him kind of being able to blossom as, as the position that everybody knows him to mm-hmm. excel at. Um, Mark Stone is healthy. Riley Smith has been getting his goals. Jonathan Marchessault has been uh, tallying up his points. I mean, things are, are coming together for the Knights. They and and I think the biggest shocker for me is just how that dynamic has been with goaltending ever since they lost Robert Leonard. Yeah. Um, you know, dating back a couple seasons now of not having Mark Andre Fleury there no more because everybody thought that was that one-two punch combo of having those guys back to back, but now. You know, having into the fold some new new faces that have really, I think, taken advantage of the opportunity. Uh, things are, are really looking good for the Knights. I don't want to um, overhype them, and I don't want to like <laughs> you know set like a crazy thing that they're off to win the 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 NHL championship this year, the Stanley Cup. But uh, you know, things are for early on at this point in the season. Things are looking really good. I'm excited. Um, I mean, it's been the best start in franchise history, so. It's uh, a lot of a lot of exciting things going on with Vegas. Another exciting event going on in Madison Square Garden in New York City tomorrow night is UFC 281. Christian, what are you looking forward to to watching some UFC tomorrow tomorrow night? Oh my, oh my gosh, guys! Uh, tomorrow <laughs> we're we're in. I feel like I say this every time, right? This is probably a little biased because I'm, of course, a UFC fan. But uh, <laughs> tomorrow we're just gonna get some some juicy matchups. Oh yeah. Um, some fights that I think are are really going to be worth uh, watching and and coming to, to tune in. I mean, of course, being at the world's most iconic 
stadium, you know, arena, Madison Square Garden, I think is is awesome. The the nostalgic feeling of of being there and just knowing how many historic sports events have gone on at Madison Square Garden, I think uh sets this up to just be the latest chapter in that history of, of lineage of sports. Um man, I mean there's uh from from top to bottom it's a great card. I think we have a lot of in, enticing fights. I mean um of course I think the one that you know the how would they say I'm forgetting the term for what they call it like the people's the people's fight or the the fight of the night that I think everybody is looking forward to is Dustin Poirier against Michael Chandler. Yeah. That's going to be an absolute barn burner. Um I think maybe probably perhaps though I should probably go from like top to bottom with you guys on on the card. Um I mean we can kick off things with Dan Dan the Hangman Hooker and Claudio Puelles. Um that's a great fight at lightweight. Dan Hooker's trying to to bounce back from what he's got going on. He had that one stint at featherweight and it didn't work out in his favor. Mm-hmm. Um he's been one in four ever since uh, June of 2020. Jeez. So he's really trying to to turn things around. I mean he's a great fighter. Uh, very scrappy, uh, dangerous on the feet. Um, but, you know, he's been going against some of the killers of the killers in, in this division. Um, Claudio Puelles, I mean, he's riding a five-win streak himself. Uh, so he's no joke. He's no understatement. Um, should be a really in- enticing fight that we're going to see some some scrappiness, see who, who really wants it. You know, you got a guy that's trying to immerse himself as a top contender and another guy that's trying to, keep himself being known as a as a top guy so um that's a great fight to look forward to to kick off the the victory i mean of course you have uh frankie the answer edgar this is his swan song his last fight um he's riding a a two-fight losing streak trying to bounce back and see if he can get one more before he he hangs it up for good um but he's got a, a worthy opponent in him with chris gutierrez um who's riding a three fight win streak himself um you know, he's been four, four, one and one ever since, uh, entering the bantamweight division. Um, that fight I, I see going the distance. Uh, I don't know how if, I mean, as, as much as it sucks to say that I want Frankie Edgar to win another fight, I, I don't see him doing so, um, tomorrow night. I mean, unless he, he really does something special to just kind of cap mm-hmm. it off. But, um, I see Chris Gutierrez winning that one by, by decision. Um, and then of course, you know, let's get into that, that barn burner. That's the third fight of the, the night. Uh, Dustin Poirier, Michael Chandler. I mean, we know what to expect from both of these guys. They're verified strikers. Um, you know, not guys to known to really grapple on, uh-huh. on the, on the floor too much, but, um, it doesn't, I think honestly, this is one of the best matchups that you can get for the UFC, honestly, put together right now. Um, you know, Dustin Poirier, outside of losing to Charles Oliveira and, and Habib Nurmagomedov ever since yeah. he's been kind of in the prime of his career, like there's not been an answer for him. I mean, he's taking down Conor McGregor, Justin Gaethje, Eddie Alvarez, um, Dan Hooker, etc. This guy is uh, as dangerous as it comes. And uh, I think the one concern going into this fight is that it's actually his longest layover since he last fought. Because we haven't seen mm-hmm. him since uh, December of last year, so this uh, 336-day layoff has been the longest of his career. Mm-hmm. So, for those of you, I guess that that tune into to the idea of ring rust and all that, I mean, that's that could be a factor heading into this. Um, 
but I mean, his his resume speaks for itself. And then Michael Chandler, of course, has been putting on some some great fights as of late, uh, coming off of that signature nasty head kick to Tony Ferguson. I mean, yeah. that was just filthy, like um, very unique, uh, unique highlight reel for sure. Um, he's a three time champ in, in the Bellator promotion when he was along there. So he he has a, a very respectable background and and just reputation for who he is. Uh, still trying to, I think, kind of make a name for himself in the UFC, even though he's put on a lot of great fights. Um, he hasn't always gotten the result that he's been looking for. Mm. I mean, he he's beating Dan Hooker and he's beating Tony Ferguson. But besides that, I mean, he lost to Charles uh, when he tried to go for the belts. He uh, lost to Justin Gaethje, yeah. even though that was a great fight. Um, you know, still trying to to figure things out for himself. This fight, uh, if you had to ask me, you know, when push comes to shove, who I think would win it, I my gut tells me I, I still stick with Dustin Poirier. I mean, just yeah. because of, of the work I've seen from the guy. I mean, he's got uh, he's earned 12 uh, fight of the night bonuses to his name. I mean, this guy always brings on the show. I mean, the lights, Madison Square Garden, these two, uh, they've kind of had a bit of chirpiness. They kind of squashed the beef a little bit <laughs> with each other, but at least it seems like But I think they'll definitely have some some motive to to really want to, you know, throw an extra oomph into punching each other in the face. So, oh yeah, um, <laughs> uh, this is a a great fight. Uh, I don't see it going to decision. I think Poirier probably. I'm gonna say my prediction is Poirier knocks him out in the third. Um, I think uh, should be an absolute banger. Um, mm-hmm. Must must see fight if you don't. If you guys don't follow MMA too much, or you guys have somewhat of a little interest or whatever, if there's a fight that I have to highlight for you guys to see, I definitely suggest tuning into to this one out of all of them. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, uh, you have the straw weight belt up for grabs between the women, uh, Carla Esparza, uh, who was the initial first straw weight champ ever in the promotion's history, trying to come off of a, a very, I mean, call it as it is, an ugly performance. Uh, to take the belt away from Rose Namajunas. I don't know for, for those of you that have followed along, but um, yeah, back in May when she took it from her yeah. decision, a lot of people were, were pretty upset with how that fight went out. Um, I think, uh, yeah, just to put it lightly, it just wasn't uh, the greatest of fights that we've seen that we know UFC fighters are capable of putting on. Um, so hopefully that this fight brings out a lot more of her skill set, a lot of what she's known to be and, and do to put herself in this position again. Um, she's had over 2,600 days since the last time she was a champ. So it's the longest like gap that we've seen somebody become champ. It's times between coming champion again, oh, wow. um, which is kind of crazy. Um, Wei Li Zhang, I mean, absolute killer though. Uh, she's been champion herself in this division, trying to bounce back coming off of, uh, you know, the time that she tried to regain the belt from Rose Namajunas that fell short. Um, you know, she did beat Joanna Janjacek with a signature uh, knockout that ended up being Joanna's last fight of her career. So, Wei Li Zhang, she's uh, dangerous. And, and this is kind of like your classic wrestler versus striker matchup. So, we'll see who, who comes out of it the fittest. But uh, I think if I had to predict for that one going off of recent performances, the way that I've seen things pan out, I probably have to pick with Weili Zhang. She just has looked stronger. She's just mm-hmm. looked more consistent. Um, 
And and yeah, that's that's how I view that um, main event of the evening. This one's got quite a build up to it too, a history, if you will, between these two guys, Israel Adesanya and Alex uh, Pereira. Um, these guys uh, date back to when they were kickboxing days. Uh, Alex Pereira, Pereira has of course uh, been a glory kickboxing champion. He's got two victories over Adesanya in kickboxing. Hmm. Not many people, when it comes to um, combat sports, can say they have a victory over Israel Adesanya. Yeah. Um, so the fact that this guy has multiple ones against him, a lot of people going into this fight think, does he have his number? Does he has he figured him out? Um, it's been quite some time, granted, since the last time that these guys fought, and and I think what's going to be like really interesting about this fight, guys, is that how many more elements now open up in this matchup because it's MMA and that they can grapple, they can strike, they can kick, they can do all sorts of things. Whereas with kickboxing, there was some of elements of that, but you're limited in a way. You know, you can't do some certain things that you're allowed to do in the UFC and the Octagon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think for, for a lot of people, kind of what I was just saying about Carlos Barza, I think one of the concerns too with Israel Adesanya is whether he's going to put up and an exciting fight uh, because he's done nonetheless, he's done what he's needed to get done to remain the champ and, and get those title defenses uh, up to his resume, but they haven't been great fights. They haven't been exciting fights. Um, and so I think that uh, we're going to see whether Alex really tries to, to get under his skin and really test his limits to see if he can try to bait him and, and get him into maybe getting his guard down or doing something out of the ordinary um, you know, that's, uh, that should be an interesting fight. I think, I feel like Izzy still comes away with it though. Yeah. I'm not, I don't know if I buy into that narrative that even though Alex has some victories over Izzy, that he hasn't completely figured out. I think it's just been some time. Both of these guys have evolved. I mean, Pereira, this is his, uh, I think fourth or fifth USC appearance. And it's like he's already getting his title shot, so huh. uh, which is kind of wild, you know. That doesn't happen to too many guys, right? Um, you know, and I'm not saying like he's not deserving of of the uh, position that he's in. I mean, clearly that that division has had a lot of contenders that have earned their spot to try to dethrone Izzy, but nobody seems to to find an answer yet. Um, so yeah, this should be a, a fun matchup to, to cap off the main event. The you know everything that that you want to see in a, in a fight. So I, but nonetheless, I'd see Izzy still coming out by decision. Uh, but yeah, UFC 281, Madison Square Garden, New York City. It doesn't get much bigger than that, guys. It's a, mm-hmm. should be a really fun, really fun fight night. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to move on. That was great. So like you said, UFC tomorrow, the main event is at seven o'clock leading up to Israel, Adesanya, and Alex. Pereira, let's move on to the, uh, we go from the ring to the hardwood. We got college basketball season has officially tipped off. That was on Monday. We got UNC, Gonzaga, and Houston as the top three in the Associated Press pool entering the year. And on the women's side, we got South Carolina, Stanford, and Texas as they open in the women's top three in the country. And Kyle, how are you, how, how excited have you been um, as we started this college basketball season this week. Yeah, I feel like college basketball season just kind of creeps up on us every year because we have so many other things going on 
within the world that it just kind of happens and there's not too much hype surrounding it. But of course, with your college basketball analysts like John Rothstein, you're always going to hear, hear his piece of that on Twitter. So yeah, yeah, it, it should be a great year. And I think most people look forward to the tournament, but I, I think what is really most important is going to be these next couple months in that it is the non-conference part of a lot of these team schedules and for us, it's San Diego State. They opened as the number 19 team in the country. They beat Cal State Fullerton on Monday. They played BYU tonight. I think they're nine-point favorites. So it's going to be a good year for them, I think, with the depth that they have. But I think for them and a lot of other mid-majors, this is really the period of the year that is most important. And it's very noteworthy to follow Mm-hmm. Plenty of hot game, hot ticket, hot ticket games um, to look out for in the next couple of months. We go from college hoops to college football. The latest CFP rankings were unveiled on Tuesday, and after a wild weekend, Georgia has moved up to number one. Ohio State is two, Michigan is three, and and TCU, the Horn Frogs. Uh, round out the top four, Tennessee drops to five, and Oregon moves up to six. I think no one really expected TCU to be nope. in this list at any point, especially with them hiring Sonny Dykes from SMU. He's a first-year head coach there in Fort Worth, and so it's really been a special year for them. You see the top four undefeated teams in the country make this list, which is you know totally appropriate for how the year has gone, but it should be a wild finish. There's obviously the conference championship game still coming up a couple weeks left in the regular season too. So there's a lot more that still needs to happen and that will influence this list, but it should be a good finish to the year. Christian, how much have you followed uh, college football this year? I've caught, I've caught somewhat of the games. I still uh-huh. been, I feel like pushing myself to get more involved with, with college uh, sports yeah. in general, like at least from outside of SDSU. Uh, you know, it's been a little tough, but I still, I think what, what gravitates me to still tune in and then watch some games here and there is just the, the unpredictability, the, uh, the things that you don't expect coming. And oh, yeah. just like you guys said, I mean, mm-hmm. having TCU rank up there as highly as they are, that's, uh, something that not a lot of people were seeing. Uh, so I think that when you have factors like that, it's, uh, it's cool to watch. It's cool to tune in, uh, brings, uh, just an element of, uh, knowing that it's not all, it doesn't feel like it's rigged or feels like it's set yeah. up for a certain <laughs> team to, to win it all the time and stuff. But yeah, it's a, it's the cool thing about college sports. And obviously if you're a fan of a certain team and you're maybe looking at who will be the next uh, star for whenever that player decides to take on that next phase of their career, this is kind of like the moments when you get to see them for the first time be in a spotlight before they mm-hmm. essentially could blossom up even more as a pro. Um, so yeah, I mean college football's it's fun. I don't get to to tune into it all the time, oh. um, but uh, when I do catch it, it's it's a lot of fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Rounding out the top ten in the CFP rankings are a couple of names that we're used to seeing at the top of the list. Alabama is at number nine, a two loss team, and you get a one loss Clemson team at ten. So that is how the top ten. Of the CFP rankings conclude, LSU is at seven, and USC they are at number eight. So two Pac-12 teams uh, in making some trying to gain some movement heading into next week. 
All right, we're going to move on from the Fast Five. We're getting into some MLB. The World Series concluded last week with Houston Astros winning the Fall Classic in six games over the Philadelphia Phillies. In game six, Jordan Alvarez hit a 450-foot home run over the batter's eye to straightaway center field for a three-run shot. As a rookie shortstop, Jeremy Pena, who we've talked about all series long, he was named World Series MVP. Yeah, I think after game four, we were kind of thinking it's going to be Jeremy Pena who's going to end up being the MVP of the series, especially if the Astros win, of course. But um, that's pretty much what happened. He was able to produce in games five and six as well, and not only at the plate, but defensively. And, you know, as an Angels fan, it kind of hurts my heart to see them move on from such a good shortstop in Carlos Correa, and here they produce their own homegrown guy and, and Jeremy Pena pretty much out of their system. And He's been fantastic. He's a young stud. He's going to be there for years to come, you would expect. And mm-hmm. I, I think he was very deserving of this award. Uh, obviously, he hit over 300 in this series. Not sure about specifics in terms of his stats, but it seemed like he delivered every single time they needed him to at the plate. Um, just even base knocks. I mean, just simple as that, just driving in runs. And he was able to do that. And great range as a shortstop. And he's like I said, he's going to be one of those guys who's going to be a factor in this league for a long time, and he could be one of the best at some point to compete with in terms of middle infield spots. But, Christian, how much of the World Series were you able to catch? I, ca- I catched most of it, um, and it was a uh, pretty exciting World Series, I think, uh-huh. nonetheless. Uh, had some twists and turns that you didn't think. I mean, having to see the, the combined no-hitter, um, you know, seeing one team, you know, seeing yeah. the Phillies lose at home for the first time, you know, seeing the Astros lose for the first time, those kind of things were, I think, question marks that the fans had all postseason long from seeing the runs that these two managed to put together. Uh, but I think, like you guys said, uh, when when push came to shove, the Astros showed up when they needed to, and, and I think hit the the times that they they needed to step up and hit. I mean, uh, you know, Pena, seeing him come up, and and I think fulfilling a, a gap that at times the Astros had, like when we've seen that. I, I don't know what the number was for it, but I mean, Jose Altuve, I know he was struggling and having just a, a stint going on in the postseason where he just wasn't able to to put things together for a little while. Um, and see mm-hmm. somebody like him, you know, he, he stepped up. I mean, the, the pitching for the Astros uh, coming together and, and creating the, the strikeouts or, you know, making the outings that they needed to do. It's a... Uh, yeah. Yeah, you can't you can't deny it this year. You know, they, they were deserving of being a champion and um and they did it what they, they could. You know, heartbreak for Philly, of course. You know, they felt like that they had put a, a magical uh Cinderella run. Um and, and we're almost there. I mean they they weren't too far away from, from being able to take it all themselves, but um that's just how, how sports is sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we think about what the Astros have now done over the last six years, it feels like now, since they won that World Series in 2017. You can include that um, playoff run in 2015 that was cut short. But we're into a segment of Fair Foul. We haven't done these in a while. But mm-hmm. with this championship, you know, are the Astros now officially a dynasty? Yeah, you know, I'll start it off. Uh, it's tough to say because obviously 2017 is. You know, the buzzers and the trash cans are a big factor of that. You know, you always go on Twitter and you see the trolls always 
letting uh, their players and their fans know of that. And there are five people coming back from 2017 uh, that were a part of this 2022 team, that being Altuve and Bregman, obviously, as well as Guriel, Lance McCullers Jr., Justin Verlander. You can add to that list as well. So, honestly, with a gap of a few years in between championships, I don't know. I think I'm going to go foul just because it's not like the Warriors. When you think of teams that yeah. are dynasties, you think of the Golden State Warriors where they won in – 2015, 17, 18, and then obviously in 2022 with a lot of their core remaining. And, of course, it's still the same here with the Astros, you know, those five key players remaining on this team as well. But I think what it comes down to is the gap in between. And, of course, there are different factors, you know, separating that. You know, the COVID season was challenging for everyone. Um, But – I don't know. I'm not convinced that they're officially a dynasty yet. Um, if they win next year with a lot of these four players, then I, I think, mm-hmm. you, sure, you can consider them a dynasty. But right now, I, I don't think they are. Christian, mm-hmm. I, I want to hear your take on this. Yeah, I, I kind of want to like piggyback off of what you're saying. I think for now, I believe that it's a foul. Um, but I think that all these playoff runs, these appearances they've been able to make in the World Series – could be a benefit for them if they do happen to win within the next gap of another two or three years. Yeah. Then I could mm-hmm. see that how this favors into putting together the the resume, if you will, for a sports team of what a dynasty looks like. Right. Because that's, you know, like you said, the Warriors. Um, you could talk about uh, the New England Patriots. We have a few examples that we've seen right. along the way with sports that it's like, they didn't always win the championship, but because of the fact that they made all these appearances and then within a certain gap, a certain uh, interval of, of every time that they made it to the, to the big chip that they ended up winning in it all. I think that that helps put together what that looks like for, for a dynasty. So um, as of right now, I would have to say foul, um, you know, like, like you guys talk about, you guys alluded to, it's it's no secret across baseball about what happened in 2017 um, that happened to be with this team notoriously for what what they were known for, um, you know, and it's uh, still up for for conversation about a lot of uh, a lot of fans of what should have happened, what the, the punishment um, could have or, or should have been for yeah for this franchise, um, but nonetheless that's that's in the past um, and will be handled it the way they handled it. Um, this year, the way that the things happens, I mean, you can't uh, taking that out of in, uh, out of context and taking that, um, you know, just not not paying attention to it. That uh, they were undeniably the champion this year, um, had a great uh, rotation in pitching, had uh, you know a batting order that uh, was consistent and just hit up the numbers that they needed to. So I think, uh, but, but nonetheless, overall, for now, foul in the future. Mm-hmm in the very near future could definitely be fair. Mm-hmm. When I think about this, and you mentioned, you know, this is a team that's been to the playoffs six straight years, uh, and right. that includes 2020. Um, you know, this this has pretty much the same vibes as when we think about the Atlanta Braves. You know, their 14 straight division titles or whatever yeah. it was in the 90s, and then but they can only muster one World Series out of it. And I feel like it's 
a little bit better than that track. Um, you know, 400 win, 400 win seasons of the last five, excluding 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they've been to the ALCS last ALCS or better the last five years. I don't think this is quite a dynasty. I think it's, you know, just a, it's just something that we've gotten used to every single year. Right. You know, seeing this Astros team, you know, go far and they did it this year, 106 wins, they 2019, 107 wins. So I think, I think we're getting closer and closer to it, but we're not yeah, quite there. But one player that has, or one person that helped the Astros get to the promised lane this year, unlike instead of years past, was their manager this year in Dusty Baker. And uh, a couple days ago, the Astros announced that he will return for the 2023 season. How are we feeling about that? Yeah, it's great. I mean, never won a World Series as a manager Mm -hmm. until this year. and was finally able to do it in his 25th season. So I think he is very deserving of the steal. Obviously he's getting up there in age, but you see how much the players appreciate him and you see why he is the manager of the best team in baseball is that he's one of the best to ever do it. I think there's no doubt about that. And in terms of his wins, I think he has what over 2000, something like that. Um, So he's really put together a really fantastic career as a coach. And I think no one more deserving of having him back uh, than the Houston Astros. So you see them go ahead, I think, um, and keep him around, I think, for next season as well. I think that's really important for them to do that. What do you think, Christian? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's a cool sports moment when you get to see somebody finally set out a, and accomplish a goal that they've been hunting and searching down for so long. Uh, I think it's always uh, an unfortunate thing whenever you do see somebody that has been wanting to to search over something like that and they end up kind of calling it a career before, you know, they, they do or they never just get the chance and opportunity. Yeah. And uh, I forget, maybe you guys would know exactly how many years it's been, but it's over, I know, at least over 40 years. Um, and they said that that was the longest gap between a player turned manager to win a championship. Yeah. Like, um, so I think that was a really cool thing for, for Dusty Baker. Um, you know, you just, you like to see that it's, it's the kind of one of the, the bright spots that, uh, highlighted this world series. And it's mm-hmm. something that I'm sure a lot of people were just kind of behind their, their motivation of wanting to see somebody like the Astros win, you know, seeing them get it for Dusty Baker. Um, so I thought that was really cool. Great on him. Um, you know, I think that just adds to his uh his soon to be um Hall of Fame, you know, entry resume. So um I think that's yeah, it's awesome for Dusty. Mm-hmm. One thing that we're gonna see and as you know, Dusty Baker's got two thousand ninety three victories as a manager and I was looking also, uh you know, in twenty twenty three Dusty Baker is gonna get to manage game number four thousand and not too very many managers get to do that in this game and it just the whole you know he had, he did this before the world series but he already had a he already cemented himself with the hall of fame uh as a hall of fame coach but this world series pretty much just puts the icing on that cake and for yeah. him to 
you know, if he gets to that point of getting to 4,000, that's just the cherry on top of that. So, um, and Dusty Baker deserves all that too. Oh, yeah. Um, no, but think about all the teammates that he's played with, all the players that he's coached. You know, we think about all, all the Hall of Famers, all the, all the awards the players have won under Dusty Baker. It's, uh, deserving and uh, couldn't be a better time for him. Mm-hmm. All right. It is currently speaking of award season. That is the point where we are at in this baseball season, honoring the best players within their area. So uh, the Baseball Writers Association of America award finalists have been announced. The BBWAA awards I mentioned were announced back on Monday and uh, the winners will be announced this coming week and we kick off on Monday the Jackie Robinson Rookie of the Year. And in the American League, you got Stephen Kwan from the Cleveland Guardians. You got Julio Rodriguez from the Seattle Mariners. And you got Adley Rushman of the Baltimore Orioles. Christian, who do you see uh, taking this one? Mm. Out of this one, I could. If I had to, if I had to say, I would go with uh, Julio Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. That would be my... That would be my choice for out of these mm-hmm. three. Um, mm-hmm. But gosh, always award selection time is always very tough because mm-hmm. there's not a person on this list that isn't deserving of being able to win it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, when, when you have to make choices, I mean, I think uh, for what you look at the output that Julio Rodriguez did this year for the Mariners, I think it's uh, it's just who I would go with deserving of, of the award, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Kyle, who do you got here for... American League Rookie of the Year. Yeah, absolutely agree. I think it's for sure going to be Julio Rodriguez. Again, Christian, you can yell it. I mean, all these guys are deserving of this award, no doubt about it. But you see what he was able to do and his his rookie season, you know, making his debut on April 8th of this year. But being an all-star, winning a silver slugger, yep. uh, 28 home runs, 25 stolen bases, 75 runs batted in. I mean, he's going to be an electric player in this league for a long time, just like Jeremy Pena. We see a lot of these, you know, young guys joining AOS teams and just, you know, off the rip, just completely contributing at the highest level for their teams. And I think J-Rod was able to do that more than any of these guys, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. I mean, Adley Rushman is one of those guys who was a big part of the Orioles, you know, surging and trying to make that second half comeback for the Orioles to make the postseason. They came up short. Uh, Stephen Kwan, he was a fantastic hitter throughout the year as well, but it's J-Rod for sure. You got a silver slugger in Julio Rodriguez. You got the gold glover in Stephen Kwan, and you got a former number one pick in Adley Rushman here. I think for me, I think it leans Julio Rodriguez, and Kyle, you mm-hmm. mentioned those numbers, and a 6.2 board to cap that off yeah. uh, to help the Mariners get to their first playoff appearance in over 20 years. Yeah. We look at the National League side. you got a couple of Atlanta Braves and Spencer Strider and Michael Harris. And you've also got Brendan Donovan as well from the St. Louis Cardinals. Who do we got here? Yeah, this is a little more tough. I think Brendan Donovan, you know, he put together a really solid season when you think about his contributions uh, to the Cardinals. I mean, hitting 281. Um, five home runs, 45 RBIs, uh, more of a contact guy. And that, that's kind of what you get uh, where he mostly played middle of the infield throughout the season. I think it comes down to mostly 
Michael Harris and Spencer Strider, you know, ironically, both these guys playing for the Braves and then performing <laughs> extremely well. But um, I think it's a little more tough because between these two, it could kind of go either way. Spencer Strider, 11-5 record, 2.67 ERA. He pitched in 31 games. And then, of course, there's Michael Harris, who, I mean, he was a key part of that lineup throughout the season. He played in 114 games, 19 home runs. He fell just short of hitting 300 on the season, but he drove in 64 runs. So if it were up to me, I think it's going to be Michael Harris second. Um, like I said, big part of that lineup. He was, you know, such a big factor in what he was able to do in the outfield, contributing that team and really putting the Braves in a position to return to the postseason and try and make another run. Um it's a tough call for sure, but I think it's going to be Michael Harris. I think he has a bit of an edge here. Christian, mm-hmm. who do you see taking home the Jaguar Robinson National League Rookie of the Year honors? I think it kind of comes down to like when you guys take all those stats and into accountability and stuff, but it's like, what do you end up valuing more pitching or hitting? Yep. Um, yeah. And it's, it's always such a, a tough thing that I feel like you could talk to, talk about yeah. for the end of time with baseball. You know, what do you, what do you think values more? What do you think matters more in, in games? Um, I think for, for this one, if you had to ask me, I mean, I'm going to go with Spencer Strider. Uh-huh. Um, just because of the, the record he was able to put out. Um, you know, appearances are, are always valuable. And when you can get a pitcher, uh, to come in and, and be able to make the contributions to, to win games or, um, uh, you know, just to get your, your team heading into the right direction, that's always just a, a huge bonus. You know, it's always something that you can't just, uh, you can't just find anywhere and you can't just have any regular player just step up and be able to do that all the time. So, um, he tended to be really consistent this year. Um, not too many times as well when, when you get to see teammates, uh, going up head to head for, for an award. Uh, so that's kind of a cool element that happens to be this year with the national league. Uh, for this uh, award yeah. in particular, but um, I'd, I'd pick Spencer Strider in my, for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'd lean towards Spencer Strider. Um, he became just the uh, um, third rookie in Braves franchise history to reach um, uh, 200Ks, I think, in. Uh, the rookie season, yeah, only three rookies uh-huh. in Braves franchise history have reached 200 Ks, um, and Spencer Strider became the first rookie to reach 200 Ks in a season since Diego Darvish in 2012. So, I think to have a and Spencer Strider pitched a full season and only started yeah. 20 games, but you still see the volume that he had mm-hmm. um, on the hill, and I think I'd lean in uh, Spencer Strider here. So, Jackie Robinson, rookie of the year. Uh, will be announced on Monday. On Tuesday, the manager of the year uh, will be announced on Tuesday in the National League. You got Dave Roberts, you got Brian Snitker, and uh, Buck Showalter in the American League. You got Terry Francona, you got Brandon Hyde, and Scott Service. Christian, who do you see taking home both of these? For definitely for the American League side of things, I would have to go with uh, with Terry. Uh, Francona yeah. mm-hmm. for sure. Um, I mean, being able to put that team together for the Guardians and make it the, the youngest team to ever make the postseason, I think is just an incredible feat, big accomplishment. Oh, yeah. Um, 
and mm-hmm. and I think very deserving of of the award. Uh, that's who I would say uh, National League. Um, I mean, I think when you when you break it down, I mean, I know they didn't get the the outcome that they wanted to after putting this star-studded lineup together, but uh, I think for what the Dodgers did uh, this year, regardless, I mean, in, in stats-wise, having fourth wins uh, most all time. Um, you know, having the longest gap, I think, between wins um, for for winning the division uh, between them and, and the Padres. I mean, you could go on with a few other things, but I mean, for, for National League, I would choose Dave Roberts um, for sure. I think those would, those would both be my, my two choices. Mm-hmm. Tyler, who do you have for manager of the year? Yeah, I agree with Christian. I'm going to go with Terry and Dave Roberts. Uh, you could make a case for Scott Service here, but I think when you put the season in perspective, you know, expecting the Guardians to make the run that they did, no one did. No one expected them to get to that point. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Terry Francona. Um, great leadership. You saw it, you know, young, a little bit of a younger team as well. A lot of those young guys, like you mentioned, Stephen Kwan, you know, stepping up and producing, that was big for them. And they have a bright future with him as manager. And I think, yeah, Dave Roberts, his win total in the regular season kind of stands out here. And like you mentioned, Christian, not the result they wanted. But I think when you consider all these other managers, it's probably going to have to be Dave Roberts. Uh, if I could, I would write in Rob Thompson, but there's no writing <laughs> vote. So, <laughs> Yeah, these are the finalists. This was voted on from the uh, the production from the regular season. I think for me... I think there's a case for Brandon Hyde. You think about yeah. this was an Orioles team that in 2021 that went 52 and 110. Yeah. And they have a 31 win improvement going 83 and 79. I think there's legitimate case there. Yeah. Um, I think too, Scott service, you mentioned the, the playoff drought mentioned, you mentioned Terry Francona Christian. So there's a legitimate case for all three of them. I, I would love to see Brandon Hyde get that award, uh, especially if Adley Rushman doesn't win the rookie, rookie of the year the day before. So I think Brandon Hyde would be, you know, especially from a comeback se- sense of mind, I'd love to see Brandon Hyde get that award. And then the, the National League side, it's hard to argue against a team that won 111 games as the Dodgers did this Mm -hmm. year. So I'm going to go Dave Roberts and Brandon Hyde. National League Cy Young Award. Those Cy Young Awards will be announced on Wednesday in the National League. You got Max Freed, you got Julio Arias, and you got Sandy Alcantara. In the American League, you got Dylan Seas, Alec Manoa, and Justin Verlander. Kyle, who do you see here? Yeah, I think it's going to be Sandy Alcantara and Justin Verlander. I mean, these guys were pretty much lights out throughout the season. There's definitely a case for Julio here, but I think Alcantara is a guy who stood out. I mean, when you consider Sandy Alcantara, I mean, this guy was throwing seven or more innings pretty much like every outing, and he was doing it at the highest level. Of course, he's not going to get as much attention as he would because he plays in Miami in that market. A team, you know, historically hasn't been that great. But, I mean, his his total on the year, 14-9 record, that's pretty solid, all things considered, with that lineup, 2.28 ERA, over 200 strikeouts. And, yeah, I think this guy 
close the season just the way that he needed to in order to lock this up. I think there's no doubt that he's going to end up winning this award from NL. And then Justin Verlander, I think, again, you see him get older, but with age at 39 years old, he's still one of those guys who is lights out as well. Uh, 1.75 ERA in regular season, 18 and four record, 185 strikeouts. And yeah, that that's in 28 games pitched. I mean, th- there's nothing more that you need to say other than this guy is still pitching at the highest level despite his age. And I think these guys were pretty much favorites at the start of the second half of the regular season. And they pretty much carried that momentum all the way through. So I think those guys are going to come away with it. Yeah, Christian, who do you got here for national uh, Cy Young? For Cy Young, um, for that to be announced, I think uh, National League-wise, I'd go with Sandy as well. Um, you just you don't see too many pitchers nowadays that are going to be able to put out the, the output that he had this year. I think he threw in over, I think it was like 220 innings this year. Mm-hmm. I think I, I don't remember the exact number on it, but it was uh, – I mean, just phenomenal. I mean, I think he had the most complete games as well uh, this year. I think it was six complete games that he had, uh-huh. um, which is just ridiculous. Um, so I could I could definitely see it for him uh, to win it for the National League, at least. Um, for the American League, on the other hand, I think um, you definitely could say that it, it'd be Justin Verlander. I mean, he's coming off a of Tommy John surgery. Um, and for the way to him still look the, the way that he played this year, I think it's crazy. I mean, Kyle said, you know, 1.7 ERA. Um, I think that was the lowest for an American, uh, pitcher since Pedro Martinez. I think that was the stat I remember seeing about, which was back in 2000 or 2001, something like that. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's quite a feat there. Um, I mean, it's, it's tough too as well, though, because I know. Um, with Dylan, with Dylan Cease, I think he had, uh, quite a thing too, that in his like 32 starts, uh, I think like in at least 20 of them, he only allowed like one earned run, uh-huh. which is like pretty crazy yep. too. Um, so that's, it's a tough call to make. Um, I, I definitely say Sandy, uh, for National League, for American League, it's, it's very close for me between uh-huh. Justin Verlander and Dylan Cease. Um, but I mean, Having to go off a of bounce backing from a surgery and stuff. I mean, I, I think I'd have to go with Justin Verlander. I think for me, I think I'm going to stick with Sandy Alcantara. 228.2 innings pitched in Christian's six complete games. But the, the key difference from last year compared to this year was his ERA. He took almost a full run off of his ERA, going from 3.19 in 2021 down. Mm to 2.28, and I think that was the key to Seattle Contra having the season that he did with a second consecutive 200 strikeout season, and I think that that those couple of stats there explain his side, and I think on the American League side, I think he leaned towards Justin Verlander for I think his ERA was under 2, one point. 1.75 ERA. Um, and Justin Verlander is looking for, um, uh, Cy Young number three. All right. We move on to award number three. We've got the, or actually, 
the other uh, BBWA award number four, and that is the most valuable player. And so in the National League, you got Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, and Manny Machado. In the American League, you got Aaron Judge, Shohei Otani, and uh, Jordan Alvarez. Let's look at the National League first. Kyle, who do you have here in the National League? Yeah, I think as much as I want it to be Manny Machado, um, I think it is going to be Paul Goldschmidt at the end of the day. Um, another great season from him. You see him produce year in and year out, and that's why he joined St. Louis uh, back a few seasons ago. Um, I mean, just outstanding year, batting 317, 35 home runs. He drove in 115 of those as well. And so, yeah, I think, you know, you consider his gold glove ability and his bat, it pretty much all lines up for him to win MVP here. And I mean, he's just a fantastic player as you've seen year in and year out. And um, I think this would be his first MVP award if I'm not mistaken too. So uh, that would be a second. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, he would be very deserving of that. And I don't know, it, it's a little bit of a tough call because, you know, Arenado's teammate was fantastic as well. And we all know how Manny performed, uh, especially during the first half of the season. But, um, yeah, I think it's tough, but I think it's going to be Goldie on the NL side. Mm-hmm. That would actually be his first uh, MVP. Oh, okay. He had a good 20 uh, – couple of good seasons there. Yeah. Christian, who do you have for National League MVP? Yeah, it's kind of hard. I mean, as a, as a fellow Padres fan here, you know, I want it to be, <laughs> I want it to be Manny Machado. Uh, I mean, he did, you know, step up, I think, as the, the face of the franchise kind of guy, you know, especially after – uh, the collapse that the Padres had last season. Um, and he really, I think, took initiative of just being the guy, you know, yeah. the, the leader, the team leader. Um, and he, he performed and helped, you know, the Padres put together their, uh, you know, their run this year that I think a lot of people weren't thinking they were going to go as far as they did, um, kind of thing, especially when they had to face, you know, the beast and, and the Dodgers and stuff. But, um, I mean, with Paul, Goldschmidt is hard to deny too because you know he helped you know the Cardinals get to to where they ended up being and um you know this year and you know he led I think he was like top five and out of 10 or 11 categories so um, when you have that versatility across the board uh, you have to take that into account as well um and I know that he didn't uh have the greatest September on his resume but this year but um I mean, still, I think for what he put up overall in the season, I I would say probably Goldschmidt as well. Mm. As much as I want it to be Manny, I, I'd say Goldschmidt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll make the case for Manny Machado here. Um, you know, you think about, you know, as much as what Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt were able to do to help the Cardinals win the division, this was a... Manny Machado that didn't have much help the entire season. You know, as much as we expected Fernando Tatis Jr. to come in in August, you know, when he was going to be healthy, and then that got, you know, that was cut off because of his PED. So Manny Machado had to do this pretty much all by himself. And a lot of people around Major League Baseball have said that if Manny Machado is not on this Padres team in 2022 – this is a team that doesn't make the playoffs. And that's what Manny was able to do. Not only did he have 30 home runs and 30 plus home runs and 
hundred plus RBIs, but he was a run producer and put up a hundred runs. And that's not you don't really have that many seasons when you're able to not just do thirty and a hundred, but thirty yeah. and one hundred. And we all know the defense that he provides. And one thing that we got to see from Amy Machado for sure this year compared to twenty twenty one was that leadership, whether it was for Hassan Kim, whether it was all the mound visits in the words that he spoke to those pitchers, you got to see how valuable that he was, not just at the plate, but on uh, on the field. All right, let's look at uh, American League. We got Aaron Judge, we got Shohei Otani. Those are going to be the two favorites, and we didn't know who was going to be the third. It turned out to be Jordan Alvarez. Christian, who do you got here for American League MVP? I feel like this is the toughest of them all. Like, because <laughs> each of these guys have had an output this year that, like, I mean, it's it's undeniably questionable, like, greatness. I mean, um, yeah, the big thing coming out of, like, Aaron Judge is, of course, getting, you know, 62 home runs. I think he had 131 RBIs this year. Um, if you don't have Aaron Judge on the Yankees, what is where does this team – what does it look like? Where do yeah. they, you know, are they a wild card team at best? Is even, you know, is the postseason the possibility? Um, Kohi Otani, we know that he's arguably the best player, probably the best player in the game right now. Uh, this guy is just a generational talent. You don't see this, you know, we're, we're lucky enough that we get to witness this in our lifetime. Yeah. Um, you know, could very much so be deserving of this award for, for sure. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, the Angels, uh, you know, still trying to put things together to be able to, uh, you know, be a top contender in the league. You know, they were still, I think, like 30 plus games out of uh, being in playoff contention. Um, you know, if you don't have Otani there, I mean, how much worse does that look? Right. Um, so it's it's hard to say as well, because it's like, it kind of reminds me of like, I'm trying to think of like a perfect example like in another sports time where it's like you just had the best player be who they were expected to be every year, but they didn't always win the MVP and stuff. Right. (laughs) Mike Trout, 2012. Yeah. (laughs) When Miguel Cabrera would take the triple crown. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think for the sake of uniqueness, um, I feel like they probably will give it to Aaron judge this year. Um, but you know, it's, it's hard to deny Otani as well. But I think for the fact that, uh, you know, Aaron Judge was able to finally get the uh, American League record, you know, for most home runs and stuff, that's huge. And, and you know, like we talk about without him on, on the Yankees, you know, where are they at and, and stuff. And he was consistent and showed up for his team all year long. Um, I mean, that's, yeah, it's it's very tough. I mean, but I'd say I'd, say I'd, I'd cast my vote for, for Aaron Judge. Hmm. Kyle, who do you have here for American League MVP? Well, we all know my emotional vote. And that's yes. Otani, and- <laughs> Stick with that emotional vote, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, Come on, exactly. just say it's Jordan Alvarez. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing because, like, if, if we're being honest, this award should belong to Shohei Otani for the rest of his career because no one else is going to do what he, what he can for we, – we don't know when we're going to see the next Shohei Otani if we ever will. So – Realistically, like he would win this award every season if he even 
put up even a margin of the numbers that he did this season. Um, we all know that this award's going to go to Aaron Judge. I think no doubt about it. I think, you know, there's your East Coast bias and, you know, breaking the home run record in the AL. I, I think those are honestly contributing factors that lead into this. Um, it, it's a tough argument because these players are so difficult to, to compare because you, you don't see Aaron Judge throwing a complete game shutout or anything like that. So it's definitely a tough call, but uh, I think the MVP will go to Aaron Judge. I mean, Shohei Otani really increased his campaign, his MVP campaign, and he definitely made improved his stats, I would say, in the last month of the season itself. And that's where I kind of was thinking, I don't know, like, Otani should be deserving of this award, but at the same time, he's going to win it every single year if he puts up half these stats. And it, it's so difficult because Shohei Otani, he won last season, but he had a much better year this year. That's the crazy part of it. And he's not even going to win. But mm-hmm. like you said, Brevin, before Mike Trout 2012, um, you see, you see that whole thing go down. But yeah, it, it's a tough call. It's going to go to Judge. My vote is for Shea Antani, no doubt about it. What I was able to see him do is it was ridiculous. And that's where my emotion lies. But yeah, I, I think ultimately Judge is gonna win and he's very deserving as well. Can we just start calling this American League MVP the Shohei Otani Award? <laughs> like there should be a separate award. Yeah. He really yeah. should. He, he really like, should he's gonna win point. it every single year. Can we can I mean, we just it, call it, this his his award? <laughs> like the Shohei Otani MVP award. Yeah. It's just it's, it's, it's wild that we're gonna be able to see this for multiple seasons consistently. Like mm-hmm. it's, yeah. it's crazy. And He's... who knows if he'll even be like he could go to the NL if he could just win it every single year yeah. after mm-hmm. the season for the rest of his career. You don't even know. Mm-hmm. That's the crazy part. Mm-hmm. You think about what Shohei Otani was able to do um this year. You know, we mentioned that 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 stretch that was it a two game stretch where he threw eight innings and then had thirteen RBIs in a two game stretch or something like that. Yeah, Jeez. you know, we think about how monumental that was, and it's something that hasn't been done. And we're talking about the last time it's been done. You got to go all the way back more than a century ago to yeah. by the name of George yeah. Herman Ruth. Wow. Played this game. You know, that's how I hope that's what the writers think about. And I mean, yeah, we could say 62 home runs broke the American League records, you know, since Roger Maris did in 61. Yeah, that was six, 60 years ago. But this is what, what Shohei Otani is doing is something that hasn't been done in over 100 years. And I hope that's what the writers get. Um, Think about when they voted. Um, so my votes on Shohei Otani. You think about you know another All Star appearance this year. Um, I'm trying to find his standard pitching. It's, it's like that Tungsten Armo Doyle thing. It's like whatever yeah. he does, it the Angels are going to lose. And I don't know yeah. how much regular season success by team is considered in this, but if it is, then yeah, mm-hmm. Aaron Judge is obviously a bigger part of that, no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. 166 innings pitched, went 15 and nine. And you think about that 15 and nine. We've talked about Patrick Sandoval going six and nine. Yeah. Shohei Otani could could have been on the fence this year for 20 wins. 
Oh yeah, no doubt about it. If if they put a competent lineup out there, I yes. mean, it's it's like Justin Verlander and Sandy Alcantara. I mean, Sandy Alcantara went what twelve yes. and eight or something. He has mm-hmm. a better lineup. He's he's winning probably twenty games as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Two hundred nineteen Ks as well. Uh, on top of that, yeah, twenty eight starts. You you saw his pitching improve. I think more than the hitting, no doubt about it. And I don't know how much it, it can get better, but yes. I feel like somehow it will. Somehow he'll yes. find a way to surpass his stats from last season. And mm-hmm. I don't know, even then he might not even win. So we'll see. Yeah. All right. We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk some more Major League Baseball news, offseason transactions have begun. We're also going to talk about the Padres. Um, as the opt-out deadline has arrived, we're also going to talk about the Angels, some more hardware um, that was announced yesterday here on Down the Line. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the second half. It's part two of episode 74. Kyle Butts here, joined by Revan Honda and our special guest, Christian Alvarez, always providing some good insight here for us. We talked some LAFC winning the MLS Cup. We got into some Golden Knights and how they have the best record in the NHL so far. Talked some UFC 281. We also got into World Series Discuss if the Astros are officially dynasty, some MLB postseason awards that are going to happen. Now we're going to talk some offseason moves going on in the MLB. We'll get into some Padres Angels, talk some World Cup as well, and then a little bit more with the NFL. But again, let's start with the offseason moves that we've seen so far in the MLB. Firstly, Edwin Diaz, the Mets agreeing to a five-year, $102 million deal to avoid arbitration. And you see the Mets keep their closer around, and we're going to hear Timmy Trumpet for at least five more years <laughs> in uh, New York. So how are we feeling about this one, guys? This, this, this is it. Is, I don't think people understand how deserving Edwin Diaz is of this contract. You yeah. think about a 1.31 ERA here in 2022 was one of the top closers this year, you know, easily one of the top closers. You know, you think of, you know, you think about Manuel Classe, you think about Kenley Jansen, you think about all these different closers in the league. You think you could put, um, you know, we think about Josh Hader, for example. Um, this was a guy that he didn't quite have 57 saves as he did in 2018, but he had a 32 and the same numbers last year, but. 
he, he was just more effective this year than he was last year when he got those 32 saves. You mentioned that 1.3 in ERA. Last year, his ERA, 3.45. That's a full, almost two runs. That's two runs taken off his ERA from yeah. last year to this year. Yeah, no doubt that he was unbelievable for the Mets this year. And then also another deal that's going to go down is Clayton Kershaw mm-hmm. will return to the Dodgers. That is projected to be a one-year deal for $25 million. So you see him returning to L.A., and that's another big deal for them. They're getting their ace. I don't know if he's their ace anymore, but their one-time ace, he's coming back to L.A. Christian, how do you feel about this one? Um, well, I think if you're a Dodger fan, you're probably happy about seeing this, uh, you know, seeing him come back uh, to the squad. But, um, I mean, nonetheless, for, for both of these guys, I mean, Edwin Diaz, I think he, he did what he needed to do to, to deserve of a of a pay grade like this, uh, yeah. like the amount that he just got for uh, with the Mets. So I think that's uh, that's awesome for him. Uh, you love to see that. Clayton Kershaw, uh, we know the history of what he's been able to do in this league. Um, and under, you know, the Dodgers uniform. So I think that's, that's cool that, you know, that's, uh, that's still staying alive. You know, you're still going to see him in that Dodger blue. Um, and yeah, I think, uh, both of these are good, good moves for both teams. Brevin, when you think about Clayton Kershaw reciting in LA, do you think that the total, amount that he's getting it's reported to be 25 million dollars is that too much you think for this stage of his career or you think that's probably the right amount i think that's right around the right amount um let me pull up his contract his well last because last year um he signed a seven one year 17 million dollar deal oh wow and uh so you know, you think about what Clayton Kershaw is still able to do at this point of his career. You know, he's going to enter his age 35 season here coming up in 2023 or 2020. Yeah, 2023. And it's just, he's still having the success as if he was 28 years old. And that's just how good he's been. You know, even though despite, you know, we saw issues with his back injury and things like that, he still had that, the, that success. And we see how how big and how how strong he still is even this late is in his career going to enter year right. number I think 16 um, and you know making his case for continuing to make his case for the Hall of Fame you know as we speak as we enter 2023 yeah no, no doubt about that I think that he's in a good position to you know continue to make that case in LA and let's go down south and talk some Padres here. They announced they will select the contract of right-handed pitcher Pedro Avila. They declined the club option on a Will Myers, so the longest-tenured Padre appears as if he's not coming back. And then Jerkson Profar, Nick Martinez, and Robert Suarez declined player options for next season. Austin Adams cleared outright waivers and elected free agency, but Robert Suarez and the Padres agreed to a big deal as well. Yeah, that deal is still not quite official. From sources, it said that they were still... I was pending a physical. Mm-hmm. Um, the deal is supposedly for five years and $46 million. It's 
Um, it may seem like a big deal just because Robert Suarez isn't a closer. I want to put yet in parentheses. It depends on if the Padres, um, they'll keep Josh Hader, but it depends on if the Padres will be able to retain um, Josh Hader um, to get the full value of this deal. But there is an opt out after three years, and it's a really, it's a really great move to to establish that back end of the bullpen. Yeah, and then Nick Martinez, like you mentioned, that's a timely thing, according to Dennis Lynn from The Athletic, and they're still talking right now. So, Christian, what do you think about Robert Suarez getting this big deal for the Padres? Obviously, he played a big role with the team this past season. Um, you think he's deserving of this long of a deal? I mean, he looked, he sure as heck looked good this season. Yeah. Um, he just hoped that he can keep it up for seasons to come. That's uh, That's always the thing that concerns me whenever you do give a big uh, payday to any of these players is whether they're just going to, you know, is it a one hit wonder or is it going to be a thing that we'll see for, for some longevity? Um, I mean, you know, he, he played a big part of why, why the Padres were able to, to do what they were this season. Um, and I think that, uh, I mean, overall, I think you, you got to do the kind of things to to entice the players that are going to want to stick around and be part of the culture and be part of uh, the vision that, you know, the team wants to have for, for years to come. And so you gotta, you gotta pay to win. So, um, Mm. I think, uh, nonetheless, I, I do like the move for, for Robert Suarez to be able to extend him and give him this contract. So, um, again, you just hope that he can keep it up and, um, you know, see how, how that, uh, you know, makes things for, for the bullpen in upcoming seasons, how it contributes and how it, um, you know, we'll just give the outlook for, for what we can expect from the Padres. Well, we all know how big the trade deadline was for the Padres. Brandon Drury, Josh Bell, they won their first Silver Slugger award. Juan Soto won his third. So you see all these guys collecting these Silver Slugger honors, joining the Padres second half of the season. What does it say about their seasons, Brevin? Yeah, I think the biggest one is probably Brandon Jury. This was the guy at the beginning of the year who was who got a minor league contract with the Reds, but was about to he was ready to head to Tempe for the Angels uh, spring training, and yeah. for him to for him to be you know he had twenty home runs at the deadline to be traded. And then to see the success that he had the rest of the year, obviously we know his first at bat here in San Diego, which was that grand slam on the first pitch that he saw, you know, it just, you know, it was that, that trade was so underrated compared to the Soto trade and uh, the yeah. Soto and Bell trade, as well as the hater trade. But we think about that trade, it just established that versatility within this team. And it leads to winning a silver slugger that he completely deserves. And then you think about Juan Soto and Josh Bell. Juan Soto didn't, Post numbers as he usually has, but that just tells you how how good Juan Soto is, even in, despite of a quote unquote down down er type of a year for Soto yeah. um, to win to win this award alongside uh, Mookie Betts and Kyle Schwarber in the outfield, and then you look at Josh Bell as well. Um, most of these, all three of these players, most of their production came with their previous team. So, but to yeah. see Josh Bell win this award too, it's, he's just as deserving. 
Um, you know, and the, you know, it's, it says a lot for what jo- all three of these plays were able to do this year. Yeah, Christian, how do you feel about these three guys getting these honors? Like you guys say, they're they're deserving of it. Um, I think for for what they did this season, you you can't deny them from being able to to take home these kind of awards. Um, it's just a matter of how you know the way that they fit in to the Padres scheme this year. How are they going to look next year? Um, you know, we could talk about you know the big splashy move of wanting Juan Soto, you know, and expecting what we the kind of output that you need from him, and it wasn't you know, quite up to, to what he's used to producing, you know, this season. But, you know, hopefully next year um, when, you know, you can get him and, and Manny and, you know, hopefully, you know, barring any other things going off the field with Tatis that he can come back and, you know, all three of those guys together, that's has to be a big uh, appeal for, for Padres fans to look at and look forward to. Um, you know, Brandon Jury and, and Josh Bell, you know, two guys that, uh, I think like Brendan uh, Brevin put it best, uh, you know, they were under underrated, underminded that, you know, not as many people thought it would be as a, uh, as big as the impact as it turned out to be for the Padres this year. Um, but I think it's, it's cool to see, you know, when you can get guys like that, they were so close to uh, being new faces in a different place than, and where they ended up being with, with the Padres. So um, yeah, they're, they're good moves. They ended up uh, paying off for them. Let's talk some Angels now. Mike Trout winning his ninth Silver Slugger Award. He passed Manny Ramirez for most Silver Slugger Awards by an AL outfielder. So number nine to Mike Trout. He is the first to win nine by their age 30 season. He's tied with Barry Larkin now, and he trails Mike Piazza with 10 and Barry Bonds with 12. What does this say about his career to this point so far? We'll start with you, Brevin. It's just... It's amazing to see what he does every single year. You know, we yeah. mentioned, you know, we talked about the quote unquote chronic back injury that he had that said it'll limit his, it'll limit the rest of his career, but you still see him go out and put 40 home runs, have a yeah, slugging percent. Yeah. yeah. Have a, he still hit 303 this year. He slugged over 600. Yeah. He slugged 630 this year. It's, one, two, three, four, five, six consecutive years. He's slugged over 600. And it says a lot about what he's able to do with the bat. You know, it's, you know, the 11 time, 11, no, eight times silver, nine times silver slugger now, 10 time all star, uh, two time all star game MVP, three time, uh, three time MVP. It says a lot about what Mike Trout's able to do. Um, not just this year, but the consistency that he's had throughout his career. Yeah, get this man some help, right? Um, <laughs> Christian, what do, you, what do you think about this and his career to this point? I mean, what else can we, can we say about Mike Trout? I mean, one of the greatest <laughs> baseball players to ever live. I mean, this just yeah. only adds to, to his legacy. The guy has been as consistent as they come. Um, and for that reason, you know, that's why so many people – uh, put him up so highly as considered as one of the greatest ever. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's just, uh, I can, I guess I can relate to it in some way that, you know, seeing some of the teams that I root for have some amazing players on them that you want them to succeed and you want them yeah. to do great, but the team can just not put things together to help them get a run. So it's like, 
I mean, for the not just one, two generational talents that the Angels have, I mean, it's like you just want them to, to put something together to get these guys some help, like you said, Kyle, because they're yeah. so deserving of being able to win, you know, win it all, win something, you know? So, um, yeah, yes. that's 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 what I can that's what I can speak to of with when it comes to to Mike Trout. I mean, he's amazing to say the least. Yeah, so many things you could describe him as. Yeah, you talk about the two generational players. One we already talked about, Shohei Otani earlier, um, but he is reportedly not going to be traded this off season. There's also no mandates according to GM Frank Manazian. When it comes to signing a big name free agent to a multi-year contract this off season, even though the team will likely be sold, we don't know when. That's a whole that's a whole process right there. But apparently, Shelly Otani will not be traded. Now that doesn't rule out he'll be traded before the deadline next year either. But I guess we'll just have to see how the year goes to that point. Um, do you guys think that if the Angels are in the same position that they were last season? that they might as well trade Otani before his contract is up? Or do you think that they try and keep him if they're not able to reach an extension? Uh, What's your take on this? We'll start with you, Brevin. Yeah, I think what stands out here is you see GM Perimanazian saying that Shohei's not going to be traded. We heard heard the same words out of Mike Rizzo, the Nationals GM, two weeks before he traded Juan Soto, and look what happened. Yeah. So you're hoping that it's, history doesn't repeat itself here. Um, and you hope Perry Manazian keeps his word if you're Angels fans. But you think about the value that he has, um, you know, as a trade piece. You know, you're going to get, you're giving up a guy that's a two-way player that, you know, like we've mentioned before, you know, a two-way player that we haven't seen in a hundred years. That's yeah. that's the value that you're giving up. And so you're thinking about, you know, you'll be able with the pit with the pieces that you'll be able to get in return. You know, you think about multiple number one draft picks or multiple first round picks uh who have recently recently been drafted. Yeah. You think about some sort of starting pitching, which the Angels could use. Um and, you know, depending on it, you know, other pieces that will just help make that trade either even or a lot more better. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll see if he is still an angel at some point next season. Mm-hmm. I think the opportunity to trade him will likely grow, especially if they're unsuccessful, if they can't reach an extension. And the farm system isn't as good as it could be, so we get some prospects out of them and a couple other studs, so you never know what could happen. But other Angels news, Marcus Thames will be the Angels' next hitting coach. He was the Marlins' hitting coach this season, was the Yankees' hitting coach these past few years as well, but he'll be the next hitting coach for the Angels. Matt Wise will return as the pitching coach. And then Griffin Canning was also cleared to throw on Wednesday. He hasn't pitched since July 2021. So that is another big deal there going on with the Angels. Hopefully they'll get their Mm -hmm. younger pitcher back, and we'll see if he's going to be able to make part of the rotation or even the bullpen. Mm -hmm. Kyle, how are you hoping this entire offseason 
this is a quick little thing. How do you how do you see this offseason going for the Angels? Yeah, I think it's tough. I think it's really tough, and you don't know what's going to happen because, like you said, the ownership is a big part of that. I know that they're still able to sign a big-name free agent to a multi-year contract, as I mentioned before, but who says that's going to happen or if Artie Marino will even ultimately let that happen because – yeah. I think his deception is one of his weapons, to be honest with you. And we haven't had the full truth with him during his time as owner. So even when they have signed a big name player to a big deal, I mean, who's it going to be? Josh Hamilton, Albert Pujols, Anthony Rendon. Is it going to be another flop? So I think that's the biggest factor here. Um, Doubtful that they're going to get a guy like Trey Turner and Carlos Correa, even though that would be a huge signing. But I, I think it just comes down to if they're able to get the right guy for the right price. They don't want to overpay for anyone, especially they know that Shohei Otani, if they're going to want to keep him around, he's going to be a big part of that payroll. So I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. And I think he should be the priority trying to extend him throughout this offseason, throughout the season. And if they're not able to by the trade deadline and if things aren't going well, then I think you might just have to trade him just in terms of what you can get for value. All right. That's going to conclude part one here of episode number 74 of Down the Line. Stay tuned. Uh, We're going to have another link for part two here up on our podcast page. Give us a follow and you can follow Kyle and I on Twitter at KyleBets and at Brevin Hyundai. Follow our guest Christian Alvarez at, uh, let's see, Christian, what's your Twitter handle? Twitter handle will be at Alvarez the Viper. That would be my... Mm-hmm. You can follow him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right, <So> yeah. <laughs> that is going to conclude part one. We're going to come back in part two. We're going to talk some World Cup soccer. We're going to get to some NFL. We're going to talk some fantasy football before we get into trivia. That's all coming up on part two of Down the Line.